You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Nine Finger Chronicles time once again. My name is Dan Johnson. I'm your host, but most of you know that. Most of you know that. And today we have a really interesting episode. And every once in a while, I'll get an episode like this where a hunter has been hunting a certain property for a very long period of time 15, 20 years. You know, I think in this case, the guy started hunting it when he was in high school. And then all of a sudden, something happens and it's almost like the rug has been pulled out from underneath you uh shows up to the farm one day or or talks to the landowner and it's just like yeah i just wanted to let you know we've leased out our farm and you're not allowed to hunt there anymore you have whatever x amount of days to go get your tree stands off the property and so and so at least on some of the farms that i have had access to in the past that have then then I have lost access to at least the landowners have given me a big enough heads up like just seasons before right hey I just want to let you know we're going to sell this uh, farm in the fall or we're going to lease it out in you know at the end of next year or whatever so just to let you know this this might be your last season on them you know I got a I got a heads up I got some buffer between the time that I lose a property and the time that I can go find some more and unfortunately, uh, today's guest, Brett Conan, uh, did not get that. And he kind of got the rug pulled out from underneath of him. But luckily, he had a buddy who owned a farm. And that buddy was just like, dude, just come out and hunt my, my piece. And that leads to an absolutely gigantic Kansas buck. And uh, this is a pretty cool story, man. And, you know... If you, if you haven't been through the roller coaster of an archery season or just like a hunting season in general, of sometimes it's real slow, sometimes it's, it's dead, uh, sometimes it just, it's crazy. The rut is here, boom, you know, and everything is going just the way you want it. This is one of those uh, stories where you, you think you're like, Jesus, man, I don't have anywhere to hunt now. I mean, he, he had another little farm that he kind of left alone for uh, his kids. 
but all of a sudden you know you lose a big farm what are you going to do especially when the season's right around the corner so that's what today's story is about hopefully you guys enjoy it hopefully you guys can relate to this uh, take away some of the principles that you learn on these episodes and apply it to your own life. And uh, I, I've the cool thing about doing the job that I have right here is where I, I'm interviewing all these people is I get to reference some of these stories after I've had a talk with them. And some guys say, hey, man, I did this and I found success. Now, that may not always work in the environment that you hunt, but it you, it's a principle that you can maybe try at least it's a it's a strategy that you can apply um hey i I did this hey i did that and the next thing you know you you're you're just continually tweaking your strategy and your setup to get closer to the caliber of deer that you want to shoot so again really good episode today it's commercial time and we're going to talk about tethered wasp hunt stand and vortex if you're looking for a badass uh, saddle company Look no further than Tethered. Tethered has a really awesome saddle, a really comfortable. I chose to go with everything XL. So I have the XL saddle, the XL platform, um, just so I can, you know, remain comfortable, as comfortable as possible. I'm not the the ounce counter type guy where I got to have, you know, zero ounce everything. Uh, I'm in this transition (laughs) this sounds bad but in this transition to becoming a saddle hunter i or or giving saddle hunting a try uh, i wanted to ease into it and i didn't just want to go with uh, any type of like g-string i wanted to put on the the boxer briefs first before i started messing around with the g-string if if that makes any sense at all so if you're looking for a saddle saddle hunting accessories platforms climbing sticks go check out tethered wasp archery if you're looking for, in my opinion, the most metal, and what I mean by that is like heavy metal, rock and roll, just if you're looking for the most metal uh, broadhead, go check out Wasp. Badass designs made by some of the best material possible. And when you have those two things and the fact that mo- most of their heads are made in America, you have a win-win uh, scenario there. So wasparchery.com, go check out the Boss 4-Blade. That's what I use when I'm using a fixed blade. Or the, what, what do I, oh, geez, I should know this. The Jackhammers, the 3-Blade Jackhammers. I got one right here on my desk. And uh, they absolutely destroy. I, I They cause damage, and that's what you want. You want your broadhead to cause damage. Wasparchery.com, discount code is... NFC20 for 20% off. Last but not least, actually I have two more, so I'm going to say that again. Hunt stand. If you're looking, this is an actual. This is an. This would be an awesome gift. Uh, here we're we're coming up on Christmas. If you're listening to this and maybe a brother or someone really wants to get into hunting, I think that hunt stand would be a really good gift for someone because if you if you have a busy schedule and you want to do more hunting or you want to be more successful during the hunting season, I think hunt stand would really help someone have the ability to think about the properties, think about deer movement, visualize, document, all that stuff, and just like keep notes and and, and track of everything on a single app and that's HuntStand. So go visit HuntStand.com, read up on all the functionality, check out their pro whitetail upgrade, lots of cool information there. Uh, so HuntStand.com, go check that out. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. I mean, what what have 
I've, I've been working with these guys forever now. So what is there that I can say about these guys that I haven't already said? If you're looking and, you know, when you look for optics, in my opinion, dude, there is, there is good enough and there's great. And Vortex falls in the great category. They're not only are their actual products, their rangefinders, their spotting scopes, their binoculars, their red dots, their rifle scopes. Not only are their products just superior in every way, and they're just really good products, they have a support team that wants you to be successful out in the field. So whether it's a question about your optics, how to sight in your, uh, your scope, um, how to properly glass for mule deer in the high country this is no joke you call up their their uh, customer service department and they will answer and they will help you on top of that the vip warranty right and uh, you break it you smash it you eat it then poop it out you might want to be careful with that one that last one you send it to vortex they will fix it for free and then send it back to you and if they can't if they can't fix it they'll get you a new one and so uh, vortexoptics.com, go check it out. Uh, tons of great people, tons of great products. Uh, this year I uh, took the Crossfire HD 1400 rangefinder with me on all of my hunts, and it's very accurate. And so uh, go check that out. So commercials are done. All right. I, I want to take this opportunity to just say thank you for all who listen to this podcast, man. I... Um, where I'm at now in my life, I'm, I'm very, very happy. I'm, I'm very content. You know, I'm, I'm pushing the business further and further and further. And you guys listening and paying attention just means the world to me because that allows me to do what I do. Right. And so I get that. Thank you very much for doing that. And, uh, man, when it comes to these good vibes that I talk about all the time, man, I just want to send all these good vibes out to you as well in hopes that you can find them, you can absorb them, and, and then your life starts going well, going good as well, especially out in the woods, right? Uh, or the trap line or the, the lake or, you know, in the turkey woods, whatever you're trying to do, man, uh, I'm sending good vibes your way. And, and then the last thing I want to say, I usually save this for the end, but it, it, you know, we really do have to focus on safety when we're out there. And so that means wearing your blaze orange, uh, making sure that you're wearing your safety harness and, uh, and, and being safe. Cause not only are you responsible for your own life, but you not being there means that you weren't responsible for others. And so you gotta be, you, you have to be responsible, wear your safety harness. And then I don't say this enough. But it's that time of year where, you know, we're starting to think about gear and product and, and you know, Christmas gifts. And, and uh, you know, you're thinking about what worked well for you this year and what didn't work well for you this year and all that stuff. And so I just want to, like, have everybody take a step back and just think about conservation for a moment. Just, just for a day. You know, put all the big bucks aside, uh, all the hunting strategy aside, all of the um, the gear aside, and let's think about uh, let's just think about conservation, because every year millions of hunters go out and they take away from the natural the natural resource. They take away from the whitetail herd. 
but what do they do to give back to it? And that's where conservation plays a huge, a huge role. And so, um, you know, I, I'm going to be pushing a message in 2023 to get involved locally on a local level with your, your county DNR commission or your uh, state parks or, or, you know, some of the public land that you have close to your house, even as little as that may be. When you get one person out there working on a project and you can see the difference or your volunteer hours, you can see the actual difference, not giving your money to some big national organization and having them, uh, you know, a certain percentage of that obviously is going to go to some kind of an administration fee that's going to pay their employees. But then you don't really ever get to see what it is. You may hear about it. You may read about it, but you don't, you don't get to see it where you where you hunt where you fish you know where you spend time outdoors so there's going to be this big initiative coming my way to get people involved at a local level and and start spreading the word about local conservation making a difference where you hunt so you your family and others can can actually see the difference so um keep an eye out for that now let's get into today's episode enjoy three two one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Brett Conan. Brett, what's up, man? Dan, how you doing, sir? Doing good, man. Doing good. All right, so let's see here. You're on this podcast today because you shot a giant buck, and uh, we're going to talk about the ins and outs of what uh, what that all meant. How how you got you know got on the piece of property. How you you got this deer within shooting range, and and all the details. Uh, for the story. But before we get into that, why don't you talk to us a little bit about what do you do for a living? So I'm a, a safety representative for a pipeline company here in uh, in Kansas. Well, I've got Kansas, Missouri, and, and uh, Illinois. Okay. But and so do a little bit of traveling. Gotcha. So you're on the road a lot? Uh, usually day trips. Like yesterday, I drove out to uh, Columbia, Missouri, and uh had a new guy i had to had to do some training on and then and drove back so usually just long days of of driving yeah is it uh one of those is it like a inspection job where you're you're doing a lot of inspection of the pipe or are you are you training other guys how to do the inspections so not so much inspection of the pipe but i do you know facility inspections um, and then I do a lot of training of our employees, yeah, um, on on whatever various things that they need. Yeah, like like OSHA, keeping up with those kind of things. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was that was always one thing when I was working in a a food manufacturing facility, like just people taking shortcuts, all trying to take shortcuts all the time, and. Uh, Yep. And, and, you know, dude, you got to do your lockout tag outs. You got to do all, you know, all these, all these, especially the maintenance team, right? They, they wanted to exactly. get the, the job done <clears throat> and all they wanted to do is, all right, let's just shut it off and unplug it, but they don't want to tag it on. Mm-hmm. Dude. And then I've heard, I've heard some crazy stories about, um, oh, this, and this happened, uh, on one of, in one of the facilities that I uh, was running, uh, we had these big plastic belts, and the belts would carry yeah. the, the pieces of chicken, uh, you know, all over the place. And, uh, and, and so they, th- we had to, uh, 
let's see, lock out, tag out our equipment. And so we could clean it. And then when, after we're, mm-hmm. you know, we were done touching the belt, spraying it down, we could run it and then spray it down again. Well, we had yep. a maintenance guy cut one of the locks off uh, that, which is a huge, OSHA. O- huge OSHA violation. And then that, yeah. then he turned the belt on so he could inspect this piece. Meanwhile, a guy down the line had his hand underneath the belt pushing it and it caught his glove and pinched his hand real bad. He got real lucky. He didn't lose his hand and pinched it and brought him off his feet. So crazy. Here's, here's a crazy little backstory on me. Um, when I was a kid, my dad didn't, he, he worked at a, a feedlot for cows Yep, and was working on a grain auger and didn't, didn't use lockout tag out and had a guy down on the ground. He was up on a catwalk uh, like 55 feet in the air mm-hmm. and uh, a guy down on the ground, turned the auger on and got his arm cut off. Your dad's arm got cut off. Yep. Yeah. Dang, dude. Yep. When I, when I was eight years. That's crazy. Uh, you, so, dude, you hear about, it's kind of, it... go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it's kind of crazy. The, the full circle yeah. of, uh, of life and, and how, God's put me in the position that I'm in now because of what happened to me when I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to save, you know, or happened to my dad. Yeah. Trying to save people, you know, prevent people from th- that happening to them. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Man, I, I don't know how many family members, including myself, uh, or stories you hear about an uncle or a dad or someone getting their, their finger or hand caught in a combine belt or, I mean, grain augers or, you know, just farm equipment accidents over the years. I mean, they, they happen. Oh, yeah. They happen more than what a guy would want. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, but we're not talk, here to talk about OSHA. We're here, we're here to talk about big giant. <laughs> got on a tangent. I know, I know. Big big giant bucks, and um, and we're going to talk about this deer you shot this year. We're going to kind of get into the story because uh, I I mean it's a beautiful. I mean when I, I looked at this buck and I was like, dude, I think I could shoot a deer like this every single year for the rest of my life and be happy with it. I mean it, it's not that's not yep. to underplay it. It's a great it's a great looking deer. He, he, he's very pretty. Yeah. And so let's, let's start at the beginning. Uh, did, did you happen to know about this buck at all? I mean, did, I mean, how was this a, a, a this year only story or does it go back at all? So this was a new piece of property that I had just got in, uh, September. Um, and actually I, I found out that, uh, in August that I lost one of my, one of my best pieces of property that I've had over 20 years due to, um, somebody coming in and leasing it. Dang. And so I, I went on the search of trying to find some new property and a guy that I grew up with and one of my best friends, he, uh, he, I talked to him and he, he was like, you know, you can hunt behind my house and he, he lives on a quarter section and there's about 10, 10 acres um, clear in the back of the property that's like a little slough area mm-hmm. and has some trees. And so there's Milo on one side and there's a wheat field on the other. And there's about a hundred yard stretch of trees and, and grass in there. And 
so I put up a camera and all that and, and started checking scrapes and, and, uh, to take it back even further in 2017, I hunted a property that was about a half mile away to the South and to the, the East. And I had pictures come through on Halloween that year of a deer that would have been in the probably one nineties, low two hundreds. And he had split G threes on both sides. Yeah. And so I, I had already tagged out that year two days prior. And so I just got to watch him on camera and, and uh, drool all over him. Yeah. And then fast forward to this season, I started getting pictures of this deer and he had that same frame and the split G threes on both sides. And I was like, man, the same genetics of, of the deer I had in 2017. So it was kind of cool to chase a deer that, that, uh, I had history with genetics wise. I didn't necessarily have, have history with, uh, this particular deer. Gotcha. So it's cool to be able to identify that now when, so you just got access to this farm in September you went in, you started putting up some trail cameras yep. and, and things like that. What, how long did it take for this deer to show up? So I think I got my first picture of this deer. It was, uh, October 25th. Okay. Okay. So it took a little bit. Um, I had, you know, some quality deer on camera to start. Um, nothing too crazy. You know, I wasn't real, I mean, I had a, I, I have a really good three-year-old that was on camera and then I had a deer that I'm guessing, you know, he's in that five, six, seven range and great, great big body, but just 120 inch frame. Yeah. And so I wasn't too excited about uh, too excited. And so I didn't even, I didn't even put up a tree stand until middle of October. Okay. Just knowing that, knowing that, uh, there eventually I'm, I was thinking that something would show up that I would be interested in chasing. But, um, I was actually in uh, Dallas working for, for a week when I started getting pictures of this deer and, uh, another deer that was just a little bit bigger than him. Oh, wow. And so I started getting pictures of them hitting a scrape and it was our first real good cold front there in, in October. And, uh, all I can do is look at the cameras and, and drool, just wish I was at home. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Wish I was back at home. Yeah. I want to back up and, the story just a little bit though. Uh, I want to yeah. talk about this, this property that you had for 20 years and, and then you ended up losing it mm-hmm. because I went through a property loss uh, like this just recently, just this year. And then several years ago, the one, one farm that my buddy's, uh, my, my buddy's grandpa used to own. I hunted that for several years and then had to, you know, I lost it when he passed away and the family sold it. What, what's the story here with this, with this lost uh, piece? 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I started hunting that property. It's, it's a 320-acre property. Yeah. And I started hunting that property when I was in high school. And I worked for that farmer all through high school. And, uh, you know, after high school, got to gotta hunt it still. And there was <clears> – and that's honestly where I've shot the majority of my deer. And I just kind of – you get to that point where you know exactly – when the deer are going to move, where they're going to move. And, and, uh, so I got to the point where I, I would hunt maybe five to 10 times a year and I was tagged out Yeah. just because you know, the property, you know, the deer quality and everything else. And losing that property was, was a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. Was it a, was it like, hey, just want to let you know that that we're gonna lease the farm? Did they come to you first with it, or was it just a big shock, and then you just you just straight up lost it? It, it was a big shock. Yeah. It was, hey, we're gonna go a different route on um, the hunting program here, and we leased it to somebody from Georgia. Um, can you come get your stuff? Dang, and. Uh, yeah. So did someone else I didn't even have the opportunity to to <clears throat> to make a counter offer. No, I I didn't have that opportunity. Dang, dude. You would think that um they would come they would come to you first because I have a feeling on some of the on my main property if they did decide to do that, I would think that be as a hunter that I, that's already there, you would just want the same people to lease it from you. Um did you ever find out what the cost of the lease was and, and would you have been able to afford it if it, if, if they did offer it to you? I, I didn't get the cost out of them. Yeah. Um, he, uh, after, after he told me I needed to get my stuff off, you know, I thanked him for the, for letting me hunt it for all those years and that I did appreciate it. And yeah. then it was kind of radio silence after that. Man. That's just like, I, I don't know. Well, I just, I feel like in a scenario like that here, I'll, I'll share an example with you real quick. I got a, I, I know a, a farmer. This happened to him. He's a really nice guy. Uh, I've known his family and, and things like that for a while. And um, there are some children that don't live in the area anymore, but he, you know, this yeah. guy has let, the um let people just hunt for free on his farm like close family friends and uh, i actually used to hunt there several years ago i don't anymore but it sounds to me like the kids are trying to get the dad to start to lease it so someone that is never there and is never you know I don't know. It just sounds yeah. like there. It just sounds like really muddy waters, and it, it, it sounds like when something like that happens, there's outside influences that maybe the the farmer doesn't even want to happen 
but it happened anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think I think what happened here was we've had a severe drought this year, and you know crops were terrible, and so <clears throat> somebody comes in and offers the farmer some money, and uh, he's going to take it. Is yeah. it? That's kind of my guess as as to what happened here was, you know, he got offered some money to to lease the property, and he he went ahead with it. Yeah, man, that's and just imagine like. I mean, I take it it wasn't advertised, right? This this property wasn't no. uh, like not on Craigslist saying, "Hey, come do it." These people were doing their research, or a company was out there looking for land to lease, and they got a hold of this Correct. farmer and just you know out of nowhere said, "Hey, I'll pay you this amount of money." The farmer was like, "Jesus, man, that's real good money." I'll yeah, I'll take it. Sure, that's good. So yep, I mean, it, it it is what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I can't fault the farmer for doing it because right. he's got to make money as well. And right. Um, but at the same time, it, it really um, made me think, you know, maybe I do need to start leasing some ground because it's getting harder and harder. Even, you know, all the, all the farmers that I grew up around um, it's getting harder and harder to just get permission anymore. Oh and dude. You got to kind of, yeah pay to play the game oh dude fortunately talk about iowa dude i am i am nothing but lucky on how i got access to this other farm uh this year straight up luck, dude if i went and knocked on let's just say 10 years ago even i could have went and knocked on some doors and uh maybe not even 10 years ago let's just throw it back 15 years ago i could probably knock on a handful of doors in the in in some county uh, in Southern Iowa. And I probably could have got one farm, maybe two mm-hmm. farms to go hunt. If I really put in some time, dude, right now, everything, yep. everything is leased. Everything is, um, outfitted. I mean, there is, it's, it's, or someone, you know, or the, the landowner hunts it. Right. So it is, yep. it is, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest within the next five years, I, I bet you I'm paying for a lease, unfortunately. Uh, and, exactly. and so, you know, on top of that, Iowa, just like Kansas, I think Kansas and Iowa are are number one or number two. We're either we're I'm I'm either number one or you're either number one. But if I'm number one, you're number two, as far as the least amount mm-hmm. of public hunting access in the country. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that makes it's, it that it's makes hard it difficult. to find public. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Um, so after you lose this property, then talk to me a little bit. Obviously, you get a little nervous, right? You're like, Jesus, I just lost my best farm. Did you have other farms to fall back on, or were you just like ass out in the wind at this point? So I had I had one other farm that um, I always kind of kept for my for my son to hunt, and then you know I would I would take my dad over there every now and again too if we had a real good buck that he could chase. Yeah. And so it was just one of those things that I, I kept that one farm to myself and I, you know, chased them all over. I didn't really have to worry about a, a blind or anything like that. I can get pretty mobile. And then this other spot that, that I always just kind of kept for my son, we kept a blind out there and, and all that. But I uh, was like, well, I guess my, 
my boy and I are going to be sharing one farm this year and we're going to be chasing the same deer. Yeah. Um, and when you're trying to, when you're trying to shoot just this, the upper age deer, it's nice to have more than one farm. That way you're not, you know, taking two deer off the same farm in one year. Right. And that, that becomes tough, man, because there are times where I've, I've connected on, on a piece of property. The other two guys have also connected on a piece of property. Um, and then maybe the shotgun guys will come through and clean it out. And then the next season, it's just the quality's not there. And so, uh, if, if everybody connects on the farm, the, the, the caliber of deer that we all want to chase goes away. And now you're, you're just like, man. I guess I just, it's going to be a, a tough season or I got to find, you know, find a, a, a new, a new piece to hunt. Exactly. And you want to keep that year after year quality going. And, and when you've only got one farm to hunt, it makes it a lot more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, um, you, Long story short, then you go through a period, your buddy gives you access to a farm. Now you have two farms to hunt, one for your boy and one for you. Um, you mentioned, Mm -hmm. you mentioned the, you know, there was some ag fields, uh, a strip of timber up. You had some trail cameras out. What's the, is there any ditches, any swamp, any, or is it just Kansas flat where you're at? No, it's so to the West it kind of rolls um, my access in. It, it rolls down into this bottom where those trees are at, and then there's it's it's pretty flat down in this bottom where there's trees and and a little um, I call it a slough. On a normal year when it's when we have some moisture, it holds water quite a bit. Okay. This year it was pretty dry, but and then as you keep going to the east, it it has another um, elevation change and it goes back up. And so it's kind of down in this little bowl and you can't see it from the road or anything. Um, and those deer just kind of hide back in there. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you the, these stories all sound the same as far as deer movement is concerned, because you have a, uh, you know, you just drive down the road, you look out, it's flat, nothing's there, but there's even in flat States, Mm -hmm. there's these subtle, terrain differences that over a long distance there's a change but not like a short distance like in Iowa I can you know walk out my backyard and there's a a, a kind of like a big hill that drops down into a finger that runs a creek system all the way down to the main river out there you know you got these flat it's it's just flat so everything's subtle but the deer know where these subtleties are and they travel them like a mofo yep Exactly. And it's, it's clear, like, I mean, it's a half mile back to the back of this property and from the farmer's house, you can see probably 200 yards and then it drops down into this bowl. So you can't see anything from the house, from the road or anything. You can hear when I was sitting on the stand, hear his kids playing, but those deer are just, they're completely comfortable down there because they, you know, nothing is, nothing can see them. Right. Right. Well, that's, uh, I mean, and that's good, right? Good for you. You located this, um, you're in Dallas, the, the, uh, okay. So you, you had a cell cam out that you were getting pictures sent to you, correct? Yep. 
Yep. Okay. So cell cam starts going off. It's mid-October, mid to late October at this point. Oh, my God. Bucks, these deer are starting to show up, starting to see some good movement. When you got back from Dallas, what was the game plan at this point then? So when I got back from Dallas, uh, I hadn't had anything on camera for about a week or so. Okay. And uh, so he just showed up. We had some more warmer temperatures. <clears throat> yeah, he just showed up. Him and another buck, within two days of each other, uh, showed up. They were there for two or three days when I was gone, and it was a it was a good cold snap. And we had I think our first snow of the year, okay. a little you know half inch, and then it warmed back up and everything kind of shut off. Well. I only had one stand down there. And so I went and sat a couple times and I had does everywhere. I think a week before I ended up shooting that deer, I had 42 deer around me one evening and 35 does. Dang. So and, uh, you found, the, the, you the found the dogs were. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I found the does and I had, you know, the, the oldest buck I had around me was like two and a half years old. And I mean, they were completely surrounding me all evening long. And that's when we talked about the, in the, uh, the gear podcast that we did when I had the nose jammer. Yeah. That, that nose jam completely saved me on those hunts because I had deer 360 degrees around me all evening long i mean it was just action packed and <laughs> even if a mature deer would have stopped that stepped out yeah i wouldn't have been able to shoot because i couldn't move yeah and yeah. At, at one point during during that hunt i had 18 deer within 40 yards and i don't have i didn't have a corn pile i didn't have any bait or nothing this was just natural movement that's awesome which was insane what were they feeding on so they they were there's there's a wheat field a winter wheat field that was to my east yep and they were kind of feeding they would go over there and it, it's probably about 100 yards and then i was set up about 20 yards off of a milo field okay and the farmer had just cut it and they were kind of feeding through heading to the milo gotcha all right and you had it, it sounds to me though but you had shooting lane or like shooting opportunities to both fields uh, I had shooting opportunities to the Milo, not the, uh, not the wheat. Okay. All right. And so were they betting down on this strip of timber and you were on the other end of it and then they just wor- got up out of their beds and worked their way towards you? They were bedded. Some of them were, um, you know, after I get in the stand, I would, I would see some does start to pop their head up within 70 yards of where I was sitting. And then some of them were bedded back off to the north. Um, there was a strip of timber on the north side of that wheat field, and they would just kind of funnel through yeah. that way. Okay. All right. And so how many options as far as tree stand locations did you have on this new farm, or was it kind of limited? Where I could have hung a stand, or where where I actually had a stand. No, just like just like options. Yeah, I know you had one stand in, but just kind of options. I 
I probably could have had five to ten different options. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, I, I could have had different options, but um, they would have all been pretty close to each other. Gotcha. And on a, on a south wind, I was kind of prepared um, to hunt a little further to the north, and it would have been about, um, I don't know, 100, 200 yards, probably 200 yards, and I was just going to, you know, set up on the ground. Gotcha. I wasn't going to be in a stand. I was just going to ambush them. Yeah, because a lot of, I mean, if you're a tree stand hunter, and I don't know, my very limited education of hunting in Kansas, I, I went out with my uncle one time, and then... Yeah, just one time and went out to where he hunts, and he like he showed me where he hunts, and and it's not like Iowa where there's just big trees everywhere. It's basically creek system, river bottom, and then the rest is pasture on that part of it. So, I just envision very limited mm-hmm. tree stand sets. It, so, but it sounds like you had a little bit more option as far as trees than some of the other properties that you hunt. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there was down in this little bottom, there's quite a few mature trees. Um, but I would have been hanging stands pretty much on top of each other. Yeah. So, all right. What kind of conditions, uh, as far as wind was concerned, did you need to get in there and make a move? So wind wise, I was I was banking on a north wind to to hunt that stand and I had you know deer moving kind of all around me so I didn't want to set too close to the property line cuz I was probably I don't know 125 yards off the property line okay and um, I didn't want to set up too close to it. One, I didn't have the right trees that I that I liked for cover wise. There, a lot of them down there are just big cottonwood trees. Yeah, and so you're you're sticking out like four thumb there. Yeah, and I kind of set up. I was banking on them to come around on the the side of the Milo field, so they would just kind of skirt around me. And after the first or second hunt in there. I realized pretty quickly that uh, they just move, you know, they're they're all over you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so from an access standpoint, was access limited or did you have, I mean, based off of whatever the wind was, could, was there a way to get in there and hunt? So access, I had a, from the farmer's house, there's a, pretty pretty big uh waterway that goes through there okay and so i could drop down in the walkway and be completely unseen from where the deer were were bedding and i would get, walk that all the way down to the half mile line and kind of crouch down and walk a couple hundred yards along the fence and then right there at the edge of the at, at the edge of those trees it had a little bit of an elevation change too. So I could crouch down and sneak into my stand from there money. So access wise was money. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have dreamed it up any better. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, I don't know like how many times, I guess I should say when I have the availability to walk in a 
in a waterway or a creek, man, I'm doing it. Uh, it just, it, mm-hmm. it, it just, it's, it's a no brainer. You just make, you shrink your profile to nothing walking in like that. Correct. And I mean, I could have walked over top of the hill and walked across the Milo field, but then everything in the County could see me, Yeah, you know, yep. you've got a, I mean, to, you got to walk a little bit further to get to your stand, but if you can get in undetected and out undetected, I mean, that's what we've got to do. Yeah, that's a fact. If you're going to plan on shooting a mature deer. That's a fact. Because they don't, if they see you, they're not coming your way. Uh, they, they may stay bedded. Exactly. But they're not coming your way. So, um, you, yeah. all right. So, first, first night out, you're just surrounded by does. Walk us through the rest of your hunts um, before the, the night that you ended up uh, having contact with them. Okay. Um, yeah, every, every hunt I had there was completely action packed from the time I got in and I only hunted this farm, um, evenings. I guess I did hunt one more, one morning and it was raining like crazy, but personally I like to hunt in the rain because as soon as it lets up just a little bit, uh, yeah, the deer are on their feet. Amen. That, that morning that I did hunt, you know, I saw I don't know, 25 to 30 deer and they were, they were up and moving. Yeah. But you got to sacrifice a little bit, be a little bit cold to, uh, to get it done. Yeah. And so and then, what was, so you, you're telling me every hunt sorry. was like that. Every hunt that you had, there was just a ton of deer movement. Correct. Up until the night I shot that deer. Okay. The right. night that I shot that deer was slow for for this spot i had you know 30 minutes after i got the stand i had one little year and a half two and a half year old buck come by i mean he came 12 yards down a trail from my stand what date was and this? i was like man i just need to big that the night i shot mine yeah the night the... it was on november 15th okay so november 15th and how many times in total did you hunt between that late October to November 15th time frame? I hunted six times. Six times in that time frame. Okay. Uh, and any, yep. any time in between the night that you shot him and the, you know, in that time frame, did you see him or any other big bucks on that farm? No. No. Okay. I did not see anything older than a two and a half year old until I saw him. Gotcha. That night. Even on trail camera? On trail camera, I was getting very sporadic mature deer. Okay. Um, I, like I said, that one um, that was a little bit bigger than him and then and then him, but I hadn't had him on camera since uh, the 6th or the 7th. Okay. So the the mature deer movement was off and on and when it was on it sounded like it was mostly nocturnal movement yep okay yep. all right okay so the 15th rolls around uh was it a morning or an afternoon hunt it was an afternoon hunt and it was one of those times where i called my dad on the phone that day and because i had just found out that day that that uh that other buck that I was after, he had been shot two weeks prior and I didn't know about it until that day. Gotcha. And so I called my dad and I was like, Hey, 
you know, do I go to this spot where I have unlimited does all around me all the time? Or do I go to another spot where my boy hunts and have an opportunity at a, a medium class deer, you know, 130, 140s that are mature, but they're just not, they don't have the headgear. Yeah. And, uh, he reassured me. I, I knew my answer, but he just reassured me that you need to go where the does are at. Yeah. Eventually something, uh, some, something of a mature caliber will show up. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the story. I mean, in, in a nutshell, that's the story for, for your buck, for my buck, for, uh, just almost every time I hear a guy talk about, um, uh, you know, uh, shooting a, a good deer, whether it's in November or, you know, late October, that pre-rut all the way through the rut time frame, it's just where the does are at that time. And it, and it sounds so stupid and so simple, right? But I think a lot of people overlook yeah. that fact that bucks want to breed does. And so when you when you're on a doe group and especially what you were on seeing all those does all the time, it's just a matter of time before the biggest most mature buck in the area comes to visit. Exactly. And that's what I was banking on yeah. knowing that these two and a half year olds aren't going to be breeding all these does. Right. Eventually something has to show up. Right. Right. Were, were you starting to get nervous at this point? Uh, you know, I mean, let's be honest, 15 days into November is kind of uh, like if I was hunting on day 15 into November, I would start, you know, I, I might be getting a little nervous, like, man, how much how much time do I have left to get the job done? Yeah, I was starting to get that way. It's like, man, I haven't seen any rutting activity and I haven't seen any mature deer. What is going on here? Yeah. Um, I, I even made the comment to my dad. I think I just got a bunch of gay deer over here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That would suck to have, <laughs> to have gay deer because <laughs> anyway, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I'm laughing cause it's funny, but um, sorry to throw that one out. No, that, that was a good one. I liked it. And, uh, I think that, uh, um, I, I did, I tell you what, I've been doing this for since 2014 and there's only been a couple times that I've been thrown off course and this was one of them. So congratulations, man. I don't, I'm not going to edit this out. I'm just going to say, I just lost my train of thought. I, I, I found it funny. I laughed at it and I lost my train of thought. So, um, and so the, the 15th comes and you say, Hey, uh, I'm going to go, you know, your dad's like, go to the does. So you went to the does, um, and you saw a, you know, what was it like? You said a spike buck or a young buck come through. Yeah. Yep. Little buck comes through and you know, the evening's rolling on and, and I'm not seeing the does that I've been seeing. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I, I look behind me. And, you know, I had a little bit of timber to look through and then I've, I've got Milo and I'm, I'm glassing back there and I see a bunch of does. So I'm just, I'm glassing them, seeing if there's any bucks with them and nothing. There, there isn't any bucks with them. They're just out there feeding. 
Yeah. And I put my binoculars down and I look to my right and he's standing there. He'd just come out of a plum thicket and he's standing there at 50 yards. And it's butthole pucker time. It's right at that time when, yeah, it's right at that time when the sun's just starting to set a little bit. And yeah. so that sun was just right on his head and just to tell you, I misjudged how big he was from trail cam pictures was an understatement because I thought on uh, this, you know, I only had him on scrapes. And so I was guessing him at about 150 inches. Yeah. And at, as a four-year-old and when he stepped out, I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. He's a lot bigger than I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't and he's it, just staying there. isn't it awesome how when a, when a, when a buck is on his feet, and you got you just have trail camera pictures of them, and you look at them, and you're like, "Hey, man, this is good deer." But then there's something about when they're actually walking through the terrain, and you get to see their head movement, you get to see the rack rotate in all these different angles. You're like, "Oh, that's a big, that's a big deer." And I bet his neck was all blown up too, right? Oh yeah, his head and neck were just huge. Yeah, and. It, it threw me off. I was I was uh, a little bit shook when I first saw him because I was like, man, he is so much bigger than I thought. Yeah. And I, I was like, I'll, I'm prepared to take a 50-yard shot if I need to. Yeah. All right, so he shows up. You reach for your bow. What happens after that? So I'm standing backwards in my stand, and he, so I've got to reach across my body to grab my bow. And I start to pull it towards me, and he stops and looks my way. <sighs> and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I just got busted. Yeah. And I look down, and there's a doe and two fawns that are coming down that same trail that little buck had come down earlier. And they're going to come by me at about 12 yards. And they don't see me. They're just moving through. And he's looking at them. He wasn't looking at me. Yeah. And so I continue to move my bow to get it into position. And they they are going down the trail that's going to take them right into my wind. And luckily, when that little buck had come through, I had sprayed some of that nose jammer. And that doe walked right through it and didn't even, didn't even stop, which was a blessing. Yeah. And so they start moving through and he, he starts following them. And so he comes to 22 yards and he's facing straight at me. And as soon as he turns to follow them, I stopped him and shot him at 22 yards and hit him a little back. And he, he jumped out and got to, he jumped out like 20 yards or so and stops at 46 yards and he's just hunched up, you know, he, you could tell he wasn't feeling real great. Yeah. And, uh, so I went ahead and knocked another arrow. The does by this point had seen me and they're starting to get all antsy, but he hadn't, he couldn't have cared about them at that point. Yeah. And I ranged him again. He was, a, he was at 46 this time. And so I took another shot and, and shot him in the heart. He went another 20 yards and, tipped over i watched him go down so that was man i'll tell you what relief right there yeah so that that first that first shot were we talking far back like guts or do you think you hit liver 
It was liver. Liver. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he probably would have died anyway. Liver but, and diaphragm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, he, the blood trail that he was leaving was just a red carpet. Yeah. And so for good but, measure, you threw another, you, you threw another one in him. Yeah. If a deer still standing there and, and able to give me another shot, I want to, I want to, uh, put him down as quick as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't and happen very often. Liver shot. No, not at all. Yeah. Usually they take off like a like striped ass ape and, yep. and, uh, you don't get another shot. So, you know, so you, you, you watch him go down and then, and then you're like, I don't know who, like who, who's your first call at that point? My, my first call was my dad. Yeah. What'd he and say? And he did, he did do what? What did he say? He didn't answer. <laughs> he, he, he left me, he left me hanging. Yeah. And so I, I called my brother after that because usually those two are together in the evenings and he was on his way back from work. And so he wasn't even home yet. And then that's when the nerves set in. I was like, he's big. He's, he's bigger than I thought. Yeah. And, uh, so I, I was on the phone with him telling him the story and everything. And, and, uh, that night I, I actually had my mom come over and watch my youngest daughter for me for a little while until my wife got home. And so I called her and told her, you know, Hey, I'm going to be a little bit later because, I just shot one and, and then that's when my dad finally called me back and got to tell him the story. He come out and helped me. Yeah. So when you, you know, you get down, you walk over to it, uh, this, and this is probably one of my favorite questions I ask is, you know, you pick the head up, you grab the antlers, you pick the head up for the first time. What was going through your mind at that time? He's wider than I thought. Yeah. I was like, man, it just, that's when it hits you really. I mean, you can tell from the stand, but yeah. it really hits you that, holy smokes, he's, he's one, he's a lot bigger than I thought. Yeah. And two, just the, the appreciation for the animals. Yeah. Because you don't get a chance at a caliber of deer like that very, you know, every day. Right. And so just the fact that the first time I see him, he comes right in on a streaming he comes into 22 yards and and gives me that shot opportunity was just pretty special yeah absolutely man that's awesome and so you you know knock on wood this property is going to be available to you for a while now you know what i mean and and hopefully it can be your your next main farm if that makes sense yep I, I think it's going to be a pretty good one just looking at, you know, as I'm running the camera the rest of the year, seeing the caliber of deer that, you know, they're not mature yet, but they will be. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of the same genetics. Yeah. It's it's one of those special places that that uh, people would overlook because it's not, it's not a big track. You know, it's 10 acres or less of good hunting ground that that uh holds a deer a lot of deer yeah that's awesome man well congratulations on a slammer deer did you put tape to him at all 
I did, yes. Yeah, I had quite a few people asking me, so I, I went ahead and put the tape to him, and he went uh, 168 and an eighth. That's a great and year. He's got about he's got about four or five inches of his main beam broke off on his right side. Oh, really? Um, I was looking at the picture yeah. and, and how you were holding it, and okay, yeah, now I can see it by on on, on the right side. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he's damn near Booner. And so the taxidermist is. He's going to repair yeah. him for you. Yeah, almost almost had my. Do what? He's going to repair them for you. Yes. Yep. So, technically, I didn't shoot a booner, but after he gets done with it, he will. <laughs> hey, there you go. Nothing wrong with that. He grew it, right? So, why not repair it? Yeah, exactly. Cool, man. Well, hey, congratulations on one hell of a season. Hopefully, uh, you know, any other hunting that you do, you find success. Kansas is a one-buck state, right? Yes, it is, which is a double-edged sword. You know, it's it's kind of bittersweet to be done, but at the same time, it's nice that we are a one-buck state because then we can grow good quality, mature deer. That's a fact. That's a fact. Kansas is special for a reason, and, and that's one of the reasons. Yep. Cool, man. Well, congratulations again. Good luck the rest of the season, and uh, thanks for taking time to hop on the show, man. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. And there you have it. Excellent story. Uh, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for uh, showing up today. Thanks for uh, your story. It was a good one. Huge shout out to all of you. Please go out and support the companies that support the Nine Finger Chronicles, Tethered, Wasp, Hunt Stand, Vortex. I'd really appreciate that. Just go give their website, uh, their websites a visit and go just go check them out and you know, let me know if you have any questions about them. Hit me up on Instagram. Make sure you're following it on Instagram. Make sure you are subscribed to the Nine Finger Chronicles on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, and uh, let everybody know how awesome this podcast is and that it is the best podcast on the internet, period. That's what your comments should say. So uh, I would really appreciate that. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Please, for the love of God, wear your damn safety harness. And we'll talk to you next week, man.